Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Just a quick reminder, I published a book entitled Liberating the Book of Revelation, Returning to the Source of the Message. Liberating the Book of Revelation is intended to help us all know what the Spirit said and how He said it. This book is focused not so much on interpreting the Book of Revelation, that is what this podcast is for but on accurately representing the book of Revelation in the manner in which the Spirit originally spoke it to John. I encourage you to go to Amazon.com and you can find the book either under the title Liberating the Book of Revelation, Returning to the Source of the Message, or by my name as the author, Stephen Villanueva. It is available in hardback, paperback, ebook format, and the Audible version was recently released. So let's now turn our attention to episode 118. Revelation 14, verses 4 through 5. In our last podcast, we begin to explore the image of the Lamb on Mount Zion and the 144,000 who bear his name and sing a new song to the Lamb. These are those who are spiritually pure. They have been undefiled by idolatry, including the work of the hands. They avoided giving themselves to the most dangerous threat they face, which is not the beast nor the second beast, but the woman who rides the beast. Mystery Babylon, the spirit over religious apostasy as expressed in the religion of Christianity. With that, let's pick back up in our study, continuing in Revelation 14, verse 4, and the idea that they are now accompanying the Lamb. Revelation 4, 4 through 5. These now are the ones who have not been caused to be defiled with women, for they now are virgins. These now are the ones who are now accompanying the lamb wherever he may now go. These were caused to have been purchased from among men as first fruit to God and to the lamb, and no falsehood was caused to be found in their mouth. They are now unblemished. They are now accompanying the lamb. These now are the ones who are now accompanying the lamb wherever he may go. I mean, this entire sentence is rendered in the present tense. So we know this is addressing our now and is not just some end times phenomenon. Rather, this is talking about those every moment of now who walk with Jesus. Most translations say that they follow the lamb, but the Greek word akolutheo comes from the idea of being, well, in the same way as someone, as accompanying them like a companion, like a friend. By way of example, Jesus once told his disciples in John 15, 14 through 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Accompanying a person speaks of intimacy far more so than does the idea of following behind someone as a servant does a master. Hence, these 144,000 are in relationship with the lamb. And so they stick with him and accompanying him wherever he now leads or withdraws himself. 
they're now found to be with him. If he stops, they stop. If he moves, they move. They do not leave his side, even if the path he now walks them leads to death, to their sacrifice. Enoch. This is like what the Codex tells us about Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah who lived in the seventh generation after Adam. We are told that Enoch walked with God. The imagery is that Enoch walked side by side, arm in arm, moving only as Yahweh moved, turning when Yahweh turned, stopping when Yahweh stopped. Enoch walked in such unity with Yahweh that he did not physically die. Rather, he was taken up or raptured by God. It's as if God wanted his friend to be with him. In this manner, Enoch serves as a type of those who accompany the Lamb wherever he may now go, those who will likewise be raptured to meet Jesus in the air. Purchased from among men. These were caused to have been purchased from among men as first fruit to God and to the Lamb. Twice the Spirit references the 144,000 having been purchased. First, he mentioned that they were caused to have been well, being purchased from the store of the earth, and the second time that they have been purchased from among men. In the first instance, the perfect passive participle was used. God made the decision sometime in the past to be purchasing them from the earth, to give them a new home, and to establish their residency in the heavenly realms. They were, in effect, brought into God's household, as were all the called, and they have remained in the household of God. And since the perfect tense was used, we know that this purchase decision has an echo or resonance that extends throughout time. And because the participle was used, we know that this was a process as they were being purchased. It was not just a quickie transaction. The idea is that it took a lot of negotiation and dealing and time to complete the purchase. It simply takes time for God to teach us and convince us that we need him in all things, all the time and that we must never leave his side. It's a process. The payment for the transaction was the blood of the lamb. But in this second instance of being purchased from among men, the spirit switched things up and used the heiress passive indicative, meaning that it happened, the spirit of God did it, it was intentional, and that is a statement of fact. With this past tense view of events, we know that they were separated from other men. They were measured off as belonging exclusively to God. Thus, when it came time to measure those who are now worshiping in the sanctuary, the 144,000, the two witnesses, Yahweh Mekoreshkim separated them from all others who were in the household of God. He made them holy. As a result, we will find out that they will be referred to as the called and chosen and faithful who are with the Lamb, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. They are the first fruit. These were caused to have been purchased from among men as first fruit to God and to the Lamb. At the beginning of this section, the first thing we saw was the Lamb. In other words, we were presented with an image of sacrifice. Accordingly, the first time we ever saw the image of the lamb was back in Revelation 5, 6, where we were told that the lamb had been standing as it had been caused to being slain. Again, it is the image of sacrifice. And because of this sacrifice in all of heaven and earth, only the lamb was worthy to open the seven seals. Now jump forward to our passage 
and with the mention of first fruit, we again are presented with the language of sacrifice. However, in the Greek, the word we have translated in most Bibles as first fruits has nothing to do with fruits, and it is also singular and not plural. It is a compound word, alpache, meaning beginning or first in time and off, essentially being oft first or figuratively understood as a first fruit sacrifice. In the Greek, there's a tasty hidden aspect to this play on words. The word translated as first fruit, apache, is a compound word comprised of apo, meaning off, and akomai, meaning first in position or first in place. However, akomai is the middle voice of a primary verb, arko, meaning to be the first in rank or power. And being in the middle voice, we know that there is a choice connected to being oft first. Thus, even though the concept is connected to the idea of sacrifice, this is not a negative thing. It speaks of a chosen place of rank, power, and rule. This is so critically important and a huge perspective changer. In Revelation 11, when we studied the sacrifice of the two witnesses, it was hard to stomach. But this brings us a new perspective. Even though the instrumentality of their death was people who were motivated by the beast and by the enemies in the unseen realm, having been the first to be oft was volitional. They chose this position. They chose this rank. They chose this honor. The two witnesses were not sacrificed by a cold-hearted God who just wanted them to suffer. Rather, like Jesus, they gave their lives for others. For their part, it was an act of agape love. For greater agape love, no one now has than this, that one might lay down his life for his friends. And since God is agape love, we are never more like God than when we walk the path of sacrifice that he walked. It's a beautiful concept and one that we must not lose sight of just because there will be blood and pain and suffering and death. It is a choice to be an instrument which expresses God's nature of love. Why first fruit? Ignoring the fact that the Greek does not mention literal fruits, which in the Greek is karpos, and our word apache is not plural but singular, why has oft first, or plucked first perhaps, been likened to a first fruit offering? The Spirit used this expression when speaking through Paul and then through James. In the letter to the Romans, the Spirit mentions that we are the first off of the Spirit, apache, the first to be picked, so to speak, so we ourselves, in ourselves, now grown, now choosing to be waiting for adoption, the redemption of our body, as is of the fact that we know we are part of those who are off first. And we want it to be done with already and get on with our adoption. But we now choose to patiently wait for our adoption as that is the hope that causes us to be saved. Then in the letter to the Corinthians and the Colossians, the Spirit tells us that Christ has been caused to be risen from the dead, the first off, aparche, of them who were caused to having been sleeping. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Yes, Jesus was technically the first to be offed or the first to be plucked. The connection is that since we 
are literally the body of Christ, with Christ being the head, we too are included in this category of being the first plucked of them that were caused to have been sleeping. Now, to take this thought process one step further, this reference of them who were caused to have been sleeping is a reference to those in the Old Testament who died in their faith, believing that Yahweh was their I am. Though they died and many of them were martyred or killed, men of whom the world was not worthy, they were not us. The Spirit clarified this for everyone when he said in Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40, and all these, referring to all the heroes of faith, having been caused to gain approval through their faith, did not choose to receive what was promised because God had chosen to be providing something better for us so that apart from us, they may not be caused to be made perfect. The bondservants of Jesus, those who are now overcoming, those who have been measured off in the sanctuary, the two witnesses, the 144,000, are the first to be plucked or the first to be offed. Think about what the Spirit just said. It is a mind-numbing. Those great men and women of faith who lived prior to the resurrection of Jesus did not choose to receive what was promised. Because apart from us, yes, apart from us, they could not be made perfect. By our choice to be part of those who are first off, we have first place, the first position, and we are dedicated as an offering to God. The Festival of First Harvest. In the Codex, the Israelites were commanded to participate in the Feast of First Harvest, which occurs on the day we know as Pentecost. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of God. These first fruits were to be brought to the priest for the priests. The first fruits sacrifice functioned as a pre-thanks offering for all that was to come throughout the entirety of the produce growth cycle. It was an acknowledgement that all their provision came from the hand of Yahweh, that he was their I am, their source of all. In that regard, Israel was once said to be the first fruits of this harvest. This statement, in effect, pointed forward to the full gathering from the nations of both Jew and Gentile that would come forth from their growth cycle. They are the offspring of the woman who are now keeping the commandments of God and who are now holding to the testimony of Jesus. They are the God prevails, the Israel of God. Likewise, Jesus is spoken as the first fruits offering to God. He functioned as a forward-looking promise to all who would come after him throughout the growth cycle. He is the personal promise that they would be gathered and presented to God at the ultimate harvest, at the rapture of the church. And in that manner, the 144,000 being the first picked offering to God and to the Lamb also function as a forward-looking promise to all the fruitfulness that will come from the gathering of the elect and the righteous and so on. The spiritual pattern remains consistent. Sacrifice. As we mentioned before, in following the Lamb's example, the sacrifice of the two witnesses is a volitional choice which the bondservants of God make. An agape love to lay down their lives to be oft for others so that those who must endure the great tribulation, the elect and the righteous, would not only survive but be safe and cared for by God. In fact, there is a very good chance that it is because of the volitional sacrifice of the 144,000 that the Father cut short the days of the great tribulation for the sake of the elect. 
and chose to fill the seven vials of wrath with thumos, with rage, and not with ogre, intensified indignant rage. He reserves ogre for his judgment on religion. As with Jesus' sacrifice, so too with the sacrifice of the 144,000, his mercy in judgment is expressed because of their intercession through his agape love. No falsehood, and no falsehood was caused to be found in their mouth. The Greek word translated falsehood is where we get our word pseudo or fake. There was found nothing fake or false in their mouth, and found is rendered in the aorist passive indicative. Since they were purchased from this earth, the earth was not able to conform them into its image, an image that is entirely based on the enemy's falsehood and lies. Rather, because they even now choose to follow the lamb, he transformed them into his image. This picture of no falsehood in their mouth is a picture of their possession by the Spirit of God and his abiding in them so completely that they speak that which is of God, the truth, and not that which is from the lies and distortions of the enemy and all their blasphemies. The substance of their witness is based on complete substitution. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And since Jesus had no deceit nor falsehood in his mouth, neither do they. This is image for us in the Codex, in Zephaniah 3.13. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Blameless or unblemished. They are now unblemished. In many translations, the word unblemished has been translated as blameless. This is not right, for blameless is based on an entirely different Greek word. The Greek word that is used in this text is amomos. Amomos means unblemished, like a sacrificial lamb that is without defect. The Greek word anegklektos means to be blameless. It should therefore be translated as unblemished. This is the language of sacrifice derived from the sacrificial system of worship found in the Old Testament. And the theme surrounding the 144,000 is sacrifice. The notion of being blameless is very different from being unblemished. In the Greek, the word translated in the Codex as blameless means that there is no debt to collect upon, no charge to be made against someone. Thus, it has moral, behavioral, and legal overtones. But our morality, our doing it right, our following the law, has nothing to do with what the Spirit is communicating. The notion of being unblemished has nothing to do with morality nor behavior, but it has to do with the condition, the typology of which was established for us in the Codex. For instance, the Passover lamb was required to be an unblemished lamb, a lamb without spots or defects. Only such a lamb was worthy for sacrifice. Jesus, our Passover lamb, was unblemished. After all, only the lamb of God was deemed to be worthy to open the scroll. No one else was worthy. No one else was without defect. But if Jesus was unblemished, spotless, healthy, whole, complete, and without defect, then how are these 144,000 unblemished? First, the Spirit says that we were not redeemed or purchased with perishable things from the futile way of life inherited by our forefathers, aka 
all those religious traditions and the works of our hands, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. Second, back in Revelation 7, 14, the Spirit describes for us the 144,000. These are the ones who now dig down deep in their soul and choose to be coming out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have been purchased by the blood of the unblemished Lamb, and they have in turn dug down in their soul and made the choice to wash themselves white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they have not relied upon their own efforts to be good for God. They have not relied on rote tradition or religious practice. They have not relied upon any institution to make them whole. And they have not relied upon their own ideas of what it means to be unblemished. They have not relied upon the works of their hands. Rather, they literally washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb, covered themselves with the precious blood of Christ, and in so doing, he made them unblemished, worthy of sacrifice. This is another reminder that the grace of God is always and only about what God does for us and not about what we do for him. He offers those in his household the opportunity to be free from the law, free from dead works, from trying so very hard to be good for God, and free from everything that keeps them dirty or engaged in evil deeds. For their part, they just need to now choose to wash, to now be believing, and thereby choose to now be coming out of the great tribulation, out of the time of wrath. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he dug down deep in his soul and chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would now be holy and unblemished before him. In love, being predestined as to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace in which he graced us in having been caused to being loved. In him, we now have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in excess, in all wisdom and insight. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, sometime now being caused, to have been being alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you holy and unblemished and blameless before him. If indeed you now continue in the faith, having been caused to being firmly established and steadfast and not now caused to be moving away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was caused to being proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, choose to be made a minister. Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer now caused to be sprinkling those who have been caused to being defiled, now sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, in the future cleanse your conscience from dead works to now serve the now living God? They, the 144,000, are unblemished because in his marvelous and wonderful grace, he graciously and lavishly provided his blood, his perfect blood, to wash them from all the dead and worthless works of their goodness 
and their religion, such that they may now accompany Yahweh in hope and in joy, even when the pathway he walks leads to their ultimate sacrifice. For their part, they are to remain or continue in this faith, or said differently, they are to continue to now be believing that it is only the blood of the Lamb that makes them worthy, that makes them unblemished. Now and then. This is not just a tale of the end times, but is also about now, about all who now live in Christ, not for Christ, but in Christ. This message of the 144,000 is layered, as we have seen. When we are first introduced to the 144,000, we see them as a great multitude, too big to count from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And now in this image, we are given a glimpse of those who will be sacrificed, the first to be offed or the first to be picked. These descriptions, virgins accompanying the lamb, purchased from the earth and from man as a first plucked offering or sacrifice to God, without guile and unblemished, apply to the entire lot, to all those who have made their choice to not abide in this world, but to be found even now abiding in heaven with Christ. Sometimes it may not feel like these descriptions identify us because of all the ways we tend to not live like that. And the devil is always bringing accusations against us for not living out these descriptions. And those accusations ring in our ears. But the good news is that this is all the Spirit's work within us. It is not something we can make happen. Rather, it is how he conforms us to the end. If we are willing to now be found accompanying him wherever he leads. Again, even if that is the pathway of death. By the way, the pathway to be found in Christ is the pathway of death. And it is traversed through belief. There is no other way to be found in Christ. Whether we are those who get sacrificed to God through the instrumentation of the beast and the second beast, or those who offer up to God our entire being as a living sacrifice, the pathway is the same. It requires us to be willing to let Yahweh put to death all that is within us that does not originate in him. Remember, the source matters. The source is everything. Our old sinful nature, the flesh, simply must die if our spiritual virginity is going to be restored. And here's some good news. God loves us so much and is so obsessed with us that he will do whatever it takes to accomplish that goal. All he is looking for is our willingness to let him have his way with our lives so that we might accompany him wherever he leads. Jesus once said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He also said he came that we might have life in abundance. But then he also said that far too many, specifically those who love their religion and love the law, are unwilling to come to him so that they might have life. For we must never forget that his goal for us is his life in us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. His goal is not that we muster up enough strength and determination to be good virgins, to be blameless, and to never speak falsehood and so on, so we can be good witnesses for him. But with active belief, remember, faith is a now thing, he wants us to be willing to let him sacrifice on the altar all that is not of him, all that does not want him to be our personal I am. And in so doing, we choose to become that first plucked offering, a signal, a sign, a promise of all that is to come. 
ironically traversing through the pathway of death, which leads to life, we become free, truly free to follow the lamb wherever he goes. The journey may be difficult, but the results are amazing. We become unshackled and unburdened by all that is dead and dying. On that pathway to death, we choose to be laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and which distracts us from following the Lamb. As a result, we become free to live, free to love, free to now be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's stop here in our next podcast. We will pick up with the three angels who, in effect, deliver one message. I am glad you tuned in and have been ready to listen. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.